All right, praise the Lord. Uh, We've been studying through the book of Galatians, and we're going to pick up that study again. And um, this has been quite a... um, Quite a challenge speaking through the book of Galatians. And how many know this is very deep teaching about salvation? And unfortunately, I don't think there's a whole lot of really good teaching out there. And so teaching through the Bible allows us to really focus on making sure that we understand. Uh, How many know our most important thing in life is our faith in Jesus Christ? And there's nothing that's above it. There's nothing more important than that. And Galatians really lays a foundation, um, a real foundation on our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, at this church in Galatia, Paul had came and laid a foundation, a very solid foundation about salvation. And it wasn't very long after he left that a group of people called the Judaizers came in and begin to tear this foundation up, and they begin to teach another gospel. So when we started this uh, study in Galatians, the first uh, study that we had was in the first part of Galatians, part one. It was called Only One Gospel. Now, how many know there's only one gospel? There's not a gospel according to Peter and a gospel according to Paul, as some teach. There's not a gospel of faith um, and then a gospel of faith with something added to it. And Paul was combating that there's nothing added to the work of Jesus Christ. And so he said, there's one gospel that I preach. And he's trying to make sure that they understand that one gospel. How many know there's not a different gospel preached by a church down the road and then my gospel and then another church's gospel and then another church's gospel and another denomination's gospel. There's just the one uh, gospel that's written in the word of God. And we've got to line ourselves up with God, not line ourselves up with denominations. Hallelujah. Amen. So the second uh, part two of that study was, and I'm just kind of recapping here, we went into part two, which was the finished work of Christ. And so we talked about how there's nothing that we can add to the work of Christ. That when he said it is finished, he meant it. He meant that our salvation, our justification, sanctification, glorification was all wrapped up in what he did. And that's why he said, it's finished. I've done the work. You just need to walk in it. Amen? And then we went to part three. I'm just going down the line here. Part three was about Christ living in me. Paul said, I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. And now he lives in me. And so we were talking about the difference between Paul when he was called Saul, which was a persecutor, and the life that he lived, and then the life, how it was different when he became Paul the Apostle. And Paul summed it up very well. He said, Christ lives in me now. And that was a different way of life for Paul. He didn't live life that, like that before that time. But when he met Jesus, his life changed. And so we went through uh, Christ living in me. And then Eddie spoke last week in part four about what kind of faith do you have? Well, today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. And we're going to talk about the curse of the law. The curse of the law sounds like a strange thing, doesn't it? The curse of the law. Hallelujah. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, 
It says, for as many are as are of the works of the law are under the cursed. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Listen to this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen? Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you pour your Spirit upon this person, Lord, uh, that you would hide me, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross. Lord, you would speak through me, Lord, that there'd be clarity through you, Holy Spirit. You would teach, you would build up, you would admonish, you would uh, Lord, even reprove, Lord, that your spirit would move upon this word and do mighty works in every life, Lord God. Let us be built up in you, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So very interesting stuff here. Christ has became a curse. Do you understand how dramatic these words are? Christ became a curse for us and redeemed us from the curse. And so we got to really understand this very important theological point. Let me take the one phrase to start here as I get into it, and that is the phrase, the just shall live by faith. That's kind of the center of this book and the center of this passage, and um, in many ways the center of salvation. But the just shall live by faith, that little phrase from Habakkuk, is found in Galatians 3, it's found in Romans 1, and it's found in Hebrews 10. And in all three places, Paul is trying to describe a part of salvation. So in Galatians, when he says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, the just shall live by faith, he is stressing the first two words. He's talking about who are the just. So if you want to underline the just... In Galatians, this is what he's trying to explain. Who are the justified? Who are the righteous? Who are the ones who are right with God? And how is it even possible to be right with God? Because how many know the question we're going to have to answer one day is, why do I deserve to be considered righteous? Why do I deserve to go to heaven? Why do I deserve... um, How can I be justified in your sight, God? And how many know there's going to be a lot of different reasons why each one of us are going to say we should be justified? You know, some of us are going to say, well, man, I, I did a lot of good things. I helped an awful lot of people. I did more good things than I did bad things. Uh, I served a religion and I did it religiously. Uh, I did everything my religion asked me to do. How many know there are going to be lots of people with all these things are going to be mentioned um, on that day of judgment. How many know we all have to stand before the throne of God? And so the question is, do we have the proper justification before God? And so Galatians is going through, and I'll just be honest with you, a lot of complex 
um, intellectual discussions from Paul on how a person can be justified by God. And there's only one way, and he's stressing this gospel has one way for justification, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Now, when you get into Romans, the stress is not on the just and the shall live. The stress is on by faith. And so in Romans, Paul is talking and and very clearly stressing why a person has to have faith. Why does a person... Uh, need to be justified before God. Why? And this is where you see the scriptures that say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul is stressing in Romans that we need a Savior. We have no hope without a Savior. And he's trying to express why only through faith in Jesus Christ can a person be saved. When you get to Hebrews, he's really stressing the middle two words. He's talking about how shall we live? And how many know when you have faith, in Jesus Christ, and you're justified by Christ, how many know that there's a certain way that we should live? And so Hebrews goes through people of faith, and it talks about how we should live as a person of faith. In fact, it goes through the uh, hall of faith, where it says, this person was a person of faith, and they subdued kingdoms. This one had faith and stood in the face of persecution. This one built an ark because he seen, he believed God and what God said was coming upon the world. And how many know Hebrews is all about how the just who have faith live? And so Paul's stressing each of those three phrases, the just in Galatians, the shall live in Hebrews, and the by faith in, in Romans. And so those are three epistles written really just to explain that phrase. And that's why it's included in all three. And that phrase is a quote from Habakkuk. And, um, and so in this particular passage, he's laying a foundation of what Jesus did on the cross. And he says, if you look at that first verse there, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Now what is the law? Law is that thing that God gave through Moses. How many have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, He began to give them a series of laws. In fact, there were 613 altogether. There were two that He gave that were called the Great Commandments. In fact, the Great Commandments really simplified everything. Because Jesus and the prophets all spoke and said that you can hang all the laws literally on those two commandments. They simplified it and made it really easy for us. You know, just follow these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Okay, what does that mean? I mean, that tells a lot, doesn't it? All I have to do it with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul. And then the second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And so then God expanded it into ten. And the first part of the Ten Commandments, it really explains more of how to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And then the other five greatly expand how to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't steal from them. You know, don't uh, bear false witness against them. Don't do all these different things. Don't murder them, obviously. And so it expands it. And then as you get into 601 remaining laws it begins to give a very practical application to those 10, and it actually expands on the 10 commandments into 601 more laws. And so God gives them a revelation of himself. This is what I expect 
for mankind. And so when he says that the law is a curse, their mind and the Jewish mind is going to immediately think about when God gave the law. And when God gave the law, you'll want to go to Leviticus chapter 26, and you don't have to turn there, but God breaks it into two sections. He says there are the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. Now, which one do you like? Which list do you prefer? Because the list of disobedience or obedience says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then, and oh boy, I'm ready. I'm taking notes now. What are you going to do for me, God, if I'm obedient? And it says, I will give you rain in its season, and you don't get excited about that because you're not a farmer. But what if it has to do with your job, and you want to be blessed in your job, and you want your bank account to be full? God says, I want to bless you. I want to bless you with rain in due season. Your land will yield much produce. Your trees of the field will yield their fruit. Your threshing... Uh, will last till the time of vintage. Your vintage will last till the time of soil. means you're not going to run out of food. Um, I will give you peace in the land. Um, you'll eat your bread to the full. You'll dwell in the land safely. Uh, you'll have peace. You'll lay down. None will make you afraid. Even the land I will rid of evil beasts and the sword. In fact, if you look at that evil beast, um, that has an association even with demonic presence. And so God's going to protect them in every way. Uh, The sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies and they will fall before you. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred will put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies will fall by the sword. Uh, I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, confirm my covenant with you. How many know the blessings of God are incredible? And God wants to bless his people. But when God gave his law, he didn't just give the blessings. And there lies the problem. And there's a real problem even with the obedience and the blessing. We'll get to that in a minute. But then there's the curses of disobedience. But if you do not obey me, this is verse 14 of 26 of Leviticus, and do not observe my commandments, oh no, I don't like this list. If you despise my statutes and your soul abhors my judgments, you do not perform my commandments, you break my covenant, I will do this to you. I will appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume your eyes, cause sorrow of heart. You shall sow your seed in vain, your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, you shall be defeated by your enemies. How many know this list is not good? I'm not even going to continue because it's very upsetting. But there are the blessings of obedience, the curses of disobedience. And so God brought them to a mountain after he delivered them from Egypt and just gave them a simple thing. Obey me and I'll bless you. Don't obey me and I can't bless you. Right? I mean, it sounds just so simple. He brings them to a mountain and that mountain is terrifying. I mean, God puts on a display of lightning and terror and all to the... I mean, they were terrified on that mountain to even come close to it. And they were invited to come up and they said, no thanks, we just don't want to, you know, it was terrifying. And so God continues on in Deuteronomy, 
Deuteronomy is uh, the second law. It means that Moses is about to die and he wants to reiterate the law to the children of Israel. So he brings them into the valley of Moab right in the entrance of the promised land. They're about to enter in and uh, as they're entering in, uh, Moses, the whole book of Deuteronomy is just repeating the law. He gives about four speeches where he's repeating the law and he just reiterates the blessings and the curses and he makes a request of them. He says, I can't find it in my notes. He says in Deuteronomy that when you go into the land, I want you to do something for me. Moses says when you go into the land, because Moses is not going to be with them. How many know that? Moses says when you get into the land, I want you to repeat the blessings and the curses. I want you to go to a certain mountain. And this mountain was like overlooked mountain. It was in the middle of the promised land. There were two of them there. One was called Mount Ebal and one was called Mount Gerizim. And uh, Mount Ebal was the taller mountain. It was in the north. And how many know it was a dead mountain? It was a fruitless mountain. Nothing grew on that mountain. It was a limestone quarry where they made tombstones out of it. They buried people in it. The other mountain was beautiful. It was fruitful. The sun shined on it. It was on the southern side. And they both could see nearly the entire promised land. They were right in the middle. And so God said, when you get into the land, do me a favor and reiterate the blessings and the curses on top of that mountain. Half of the tribes get on one mountain, half get on the other, and it's a natural amphitheater. It's about two football fields in between, and you could just echo your voice in there like an amphitheater. And so you can imagine listening to them echo it out and, and speak the blessings and the curses. And, and as you begin to look through the blessings and the curses, like here's some of the blessings and curses. It says, Cursed is the person who makes a carved image or a cast metal image or an abomination to the Lord, the works of his hands, and sets it up in secret. And all the Lord, and all the Lord's people shall reply and say, Amen. And they all say, Amen. Can you see yourself there? They're reading off all these curses and everybody's fired up and you got the mob mentality. And it's like, Cursed is the one who treats his father and mother contemptuously. And all the people say, Amen. And they go, Amen. Right? You just see him playing right into this. Cursed is the one who displaces his neighbor's boundary marker, and all the people shall say, Amen, Amen. And they go through this whole list of the law. Cursed is the one who distorts justice to a stranger, an orphan, or a widow, and all the people say, Amen. And everybody's like, Amen. And I bet there were some people saying, Well, wait a minute. Problem here. Then it gets to the end, and it says, Cursed is the one who does not fulfill the words of the law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And then maybe you got one guy in the front going, Amen! And do you understand that Paul, here in Galatians, is quoting this? He said, he quoted Deuteronomy 27, 26 as, Cursed is he that confirmeth not all the words of the law to do them, and all the people shall say amen. Paul gives his translation, and he says, Cursed be everyone that continueth to do not to do all things in the book of the law to do them. And see, here's the problem. The law is a curse to us. The law is a great thing if you could just do the blessing part of it. How many think that's true? If all I had was blessing, 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 
It wouldn't be such a terrible thing. Now, there's a problem there too, but Paul's expressing there's issues here that we have to deal with as human beings. And the issue is, you can't keep the law. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he reads this law out, and we all say to ourselves, and every religion that's ever existed said, you can be a good person, you can keep the law, you're good enough to be obedient. And the problem is, a legal book doesn't give any room for error. Let me give you an example. You can, you can obey the law your entire life. Right? You can obey the laws of Indiana, be a great citizen all your life, and then you can be driving one day and you don't see that 30 mile an hour zone pop up while you're driving 55. Total error, right? You're a lawbreaker. Now what am I supposed to do as a judge when you've broken the law? But look, I've been good my whole life. I've never broken a law. Why should I don't have money to pay that speeding ticket? It doesn't matter. The law can't make you not pay that speeding ticket because everybody else in the world has to pay it and you will forever be known as a lawbreaker because you broke that speeding law. You say, well, man, I've been perfect in the military. My record is impeccable. Nobody has been uh, subservient to authority like me. Nobody's ever been obedient like me. Nobody's ever done his missions like me. But how many know one wrong act? You can be court-martialed and you'll forever be known as a person who was court-martialed. And it doesn't matter how obedient you were the rest of your time in the military. How many know all you're known by is being court-martialed or being an offender? Amen? So Paul's trying to make this case that God gave his law and if you decide, there's two paths here. If you decide that your path to being justified, remember, this is all about salvation and justification. Okay, what am I going to do to say that I'm okay to go to heaven? What am I going to say to God when I'm standing before his throne as justification? And there's two choices here. One choice is faith in Christ. The other choice is obedience to the law. And how many understand that every religion in the world tries to offer something to God? Tries to say, God, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. I'm going to perform this act. I'm going to you know, do something out of obedience and you're going to see that I love you and you're going to justify me based on whatever action that I did. And that's what every religion in the world does. Christianity is the only one that says he did it for you and he's your only hope. Now Amanda was talking to me about a month ago, which I love the conversation. She was talking about teaching the kids about why Jesus had to die. And she said, you know, that's a tough question. To answer and you know we've got to be ready to answer that as parents why he had to die and so that's why we need sound teaching like we're getting this morning because we need to understand why did he have to die what was the purpose of him dying and can I tell you something as you go into the curses and the blessings wouldn't it be an awesome thing if that whole curse thing was just taken away And it was just blessing. 
pie in the sky, right? I'm just telling you things that, yeah, it'd be great, Chad. Of course it would be great. It'd be great if I won the lottery too, right? Wouldn't it be great? Think about it. If the curse part of it were not there anymore and there was just blessing. So that's what David understood. When in Psalm 20, or 32 he says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. New Living Translation, the same verse. Yes, what joy it is for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are in complete honesty. English Standard Version of that. Blessed is the man who is against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Paul quotes this in Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. New Living Translation. What joy it is for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. See, here's the problem. Is if you go the route of the legal standing, and you go by the route of being obedient to the law yourself without Christ, you're always going to be guilty of something. In fact, you don't even know the level of guilt. Do you know, you know the level of guilt that our words have with people? You say, well, sure, so-and-so's words, other people's words. Do you know the impact that yours have had in your lifetime? You say, well, man, I'm sin-free in that area. No, you're not. You realize every part of our behavior, how much damage that we have all individually caused. And see, this is the first step to salvation, is recognizing that we all together have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all together not good. Our righteousness is as a filthy rag. There's nothing that we have that we can stand in the presence of the Lord. We have no leg to stand on. We have no hope in the presence of the Lord without Christ. If all we have is the law, we're doomed. But David said, blessed is the man whose sins are not held against him. You say, well, man, that doesn't seem fair. How come everybody else has to pay the speeding ticket, but there's this other group of people that don't have to? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel is there's a group of people that their sins will not be held against them. There's a group of people their sins will not be, here's a big word, imputed against them. Will not be held against them. They'll be cleared of all guilt and all sin and all past, present, future. They're cleared because of one thing. Jesus Christ took the curse and He nailed it to the cross. And now we have a covenant that has completely removed the curse, nailed it to the cross, and we have been redeemed from the curse if we're one of those people that accept the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ atoned for the whole world's sins. But get this. We have to receive the gift. And walk in it. So if we don't receive the gift. Guess who's paying for the sins? You. And here's what you're up against. Let me tell you what you're up against. Without the sacrifice of Christ. <clears throat> Number one, you are required to obey the law completely and never mess up. 
Now let me explain something about the law. It's against your nature. You say, no, 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 you don't know me, man. I'm more righteous than your average fellow. I I think I can do it. You can't do it today, probably. You might. I hope you can. I hope you can avoid not breaking one of those 613 laws. Have you ever read a Jewish legal book? I mean, they got so crazy trying to justify themselves with the law that, get this, you were considered working on the Sabbath if you grabbed one of those chairs and it touched the ground and you dragged it. Because they had dirt floors and it made a furrow in the floor like a place you would plant a seed and they considered that a sin. I mean, these people drove themselves crazy because they were trying to justify themselves for those 613 laws by being completely obedient. Something went wrong and they thought that I could justify myself by being good. Now, how many know there are blessings to obedience and we're going to get to that in a minute. But if you're going to justify yourself with the law, your nature is contrary to the things of God. In fact, how many know, and this is a secret, I'm going to say this and just blow your cover here. We're all selfish. You're fighting a nature that is selfish. You're fighting a nature that wants glory. God is the only one deserving of glory, but we're always fighting because we want some of that glory. We want something for ourselves. In fact, if you don't think that we're naturally selfish, just work nursery for a little while. You'll find the least giving little creatures you'll ever see. And some people never grow out of it. They're 40 years old and still fighting for the same toys. Right? (laughs) All right. I'm getting too personal. But in order to obey the law, we have to fight for years. How many know the Spirit of God has changed us for years because our nature is contrary to the law? And you're going to fight that if you want to be justified by the law. Number two, the law calls for us to do some pretty impossible things without God. You say, well, I don't know. I think I could probably do it all. I'm up for the challenge. If you go down that road, just understand... That the law is going to require you to do things that are impossible without God. And when I say possible, I'm going by the traditional definition, not possible. If you don't have God, the law is asking you to do things that are impossible without God. So if you want to go down that road, go down that road. Without God, it is impossible. With God, it's possible. The law requires perfect obedience. Perfection. How many people are perfectionists? How many people it's destroying your walk with Christ because you're a perfectionist? Because you're not serving Him in faith, you're serving Him with works, so every time you mess up, guess what happens? Those curses are weighing heavy on you. You know, I'm cursed, man. I'm cursed when I go out into the land. I'm cursed when I go to my bank account. I'm cursed in everything I do because you're living by the flesh and not by the Spirit. God nailed those curses to the cross and we're not supposed to live by our works. We're supposed to live by 
faith in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. That's why you're condemned all the time. You're trying to be perfect because the law demands perfection and it's only with the help of Christ can we do anything with that level of consistency. How many know that? We have to have Christ. I'm just going through some of the things that you have to deal with with the law. The law does not accept your good intentions or good efforts. So you get pulled over by the officer and you're going 80 in a 50 and he says, and you say, you know, I intended. I intended to go the right speed. And he, he'll tell you, he'll say, bless your heart. I know that you intended to do that, so I'm going to just let you go. I mean, no, the law doesn't work that way. The law is cold. And see, this is the problem with living by the letter of the law and not in faith in Christ. I'm just telling you some things you don't hear very often. All right, God wants you to be obedient, but it's not justifying faith if you're doing it by your good works, by faith in Christ. It's a different road. It's not the same road and it helps you do better. It's two different roads for justification, okay? Number five. The law will require a payment. How many know there's a payment for the things that we're doing to people? Ever heard of restitution by the law? You steal something, the judge says, hey, hits that gavel and says, you need to pay restitution because you've harmed people. I mean, no, the law is cold about that. It requires restitution because you've hurt a lot of people. And some of you, you can't even look at me and act like you're humble enough to know that you're a sinner. And we need to do that, guys. We need to recognize that we of all like sheep have gone astray. And without Christ, we're nothing. Without the death of Christ, without the power of God working through us. See, the law, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, is uh, Paul says it's like the old Greek schoolmasters. They lead the kid to school, keep them safe, and then drop them off, and they get to the place they're supposed to be to learn. The law is going to kick you in the butt going to deliver you to the feet of Jesus Christ and his cross and it's going to say okay he's the only one that can help you and if we don't get to that point this is the foundation of the Christian faith in fact some people start at this place at the cross and then they say I got it from here and Paul's saying no this is where we start this is where we travel this is where we end at the cross of Christ and Christ is going to make us what we need to be He's going to make us obedient How many want that? How many want the blessings of obedience? And it's only through Christ that we can find it. So the law will require a payment. And the Bible says very clearly that the wages of sin is death. And so I'll ask you again, if Christ doesn't pay that and nail that to a cross, who pays it? You. That's what hell's all about. If Christ isn't your substitute... And he doesn't nail that to the cross and we don't receive that free gift. You have to pay restitution for your sins. I don't want to pay restitution for my sins, do you? You say, but I don't know, I'm a pretty good person. Chad, I'm good, I come from a good family, man. You just don't understand, man, we've been, you know, we've been good from the beginning. Our 
doesn't matter who your family is, doesn't matter who your dad is, doesn't matter who your family is, it doesn't matter what church you belong to, it just matters, is he your substitute or is he not? Is he, you know, but he's, he's in place of my mom and dad, that don't mean that his death has been appropriated for your life. I'm trying to show you, this is why Christ had to die, this is why we need him. We have to have his death, because he nailed the curse to the cross. A few more here. The law will never help you. The law will never help you. It'll never lighten your load. It'll never make it any easier. It'll get harder and harder and harder to obey the law without Christ. How many know Jesus said, in fact, he told the Pharisees, he said, you bring people in and you make their burden even heavier. He said, with me... He said, my burden is light. My burden is easy. Follow me. And and he's given an analogy of two animals that are made to lift the yoke. And you know how they do that? They put one weak animal with one strong animal. And the strong animal carries the load as the weak animal is building strength. So you didn't catch that. The law doesn't lighten your load. It puts the full weight of the law on you and it'll crush you. You can't handle the weight of the law because here's what's going to happen. You say, well, Chad, I probably can. Well, wait till you fail. Wait till you fail. Wait till you try to do good and you do your best to do good and you fail. How many have ever been there? How many have ever been condemned? How many have ever said that God can't bless me because I did this? God can't bless me because I did this. God can't bless me because I did that. How many know the, the curses of the enemy? He is a defense attorney. Or he's a prosecuting attorney. He's trying to make sure you know you're condemned. He's pointing every one of those curses of God's holy law at you. And he's saying, guilty, 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 guilty. And some people are saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm good. I'm a good person. I did this. I did that. I did this. Can I give you some advice? Say, I'm guilty. Say, I've sinned and I've came short of the glory of God and it's going to push you to His cross. He's going to say, I got this. He's going to lift you up. He's going to bless you. He's going to take every curse and nail it to His cross. He's already done it. And He's going to teach you how to be obedient. Okay? I'll give you a few more here. The law doesn't give you any help. It doesn't give you, and and that's the same as I was just talking about with this yoke. It doesn't give you a plan for being obedient. It just says, here's the law, good luck. How have you ever been there? You're fighting addiction. How many are like Paul? He says, I know the right thing to do, but I can't do it. The law says, hey... In fact, Jesus even made the law more strict to make sure that we know that without Him we can't even keep it. He says, you've heard it said that you should not murder. And how many, how many think everybody standing there was saying, well, check. <laughs> I did all right there. Jesus said, but I tell you the truth. You know what He says when He says, I tell you the truth? That means this is a fact. If you have murder in your heart towards somebody else, 
then you've committed murder in your heart. And so Jesus made the law so much harder even. But here's the thing. Jesus said, hey, it's not a heavy burden though. You just walk with me and I'll teach you how to be obedient. I'll help you be obedient. I'll take away the curse of the law and I'll even teach you how to be obedient to the law. How many think you can be obedient to the law on day one without Christ? He takes away the curse and now I'm good. No, we better walk with him every day or we're not going to make it. Nobody. I'm not saying some will make it and some won't. I say none of us will make it if we don't walk with Christ, if we don't have him bearing the burden of sin and teaching us the way to righteousness. As we begin to look, obviously, we can't bear the curses. The curses of the law are too much. How many know that Israel ended up bearing almost every one of those curses? The enemies came in, destroyed them. There's even one in there that says that they would eat their children. You know, and that ended up happening. You know, the enemies that they hated came in and became their rulers. That happened. Almost everything in there that was the curses happened to them. And uh, so when, they, when, when Paul began to speak, let's go back to the original scripture when he says, For as many, are the work, as many as are of the works of the law, you're under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does cannot continue to do all the things written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. See, he's trying to explain justification. You're not justified in the sight of God by doing the law. Because the just shall live by faith, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ, and this is the key one here, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become the curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ took all of those curses for us, nailed them to a tree, and now you have a covenant full of blessings. And now you look at the blessings, and what are the blessings? The blessings are like, I want to bless your life. I want to bless your home. I want to bless everything about you. I want to pour my blessings upon you. And you're saying, good, thank you for taking away the curses, God. Now I can handle it from here. But now we've got another problem. Obedience. <laughs> Obedience. So what is God? It says that God, in fact, let me begin to read some of these. about the blessing of Abraham. In Isaiah 49, 6, it says, And he said, It is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Judah to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Isaiah fifty two ten. The Lord has made you to bear his... The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Luke 2, 10 and 11. And the angel said to him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, that, um, which shall be to all people, for unto, whom, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So who is he a Savior to? He's a Savior to all the people based on Abraham. 
Now this is really fascinating that God is taking this law that is a curse, He's nailing the curse onto the cross, and He's giving us the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham wasn't through the law. You know how I know that? Because the law wasn't around for another 430 years. God told Abraham that I'm going to bless you through your seed, Paul said. Seed meant Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and your seed. Singular. And Paul points this out to the Jews that through Jesus Christ, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And so Jesus is going to bless us and teach us. In fact, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags, but it says that He's going to give us His righteousness. So what is His righteousness? If you have His righteousness, in fact, He was the only one that God could fully bless. Do you know that? Because He was the only one that was fully obedient. And so if we could have somehow His righteousness, then I would be a very blessed person. He's nailed the cross in Him. All the curses are gone. And now it's only blessings. But here's the problem. I can't receive His blessings because how many understand that our mind has been messed up by sin? How many of you know that your heart is deceitful among all things? And how many of you know that God... We need to be reborn in the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our minds need to be washed and we need to be taught a different way to think, a different way to live, a different person to follow. In fact, if you get up every day and you just follow your desire to do good deeds, how many know you're going to find it very hard to do that? But Jesus has a plan, not only for the curses that He nailed to the cross, but how many know He has a plan For you to be blessed in the way that God wants you to be blessed in your life. And that is in Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says that He's going to impute righteousness. And He's going to impart righteousness. And those are big words, but I want to make sure we understand this. To impute righteousness means that God is no longer going to look at your righteousness. He's going to look at Christ and He's going to give you his righteousness. That's imputed righteousness. That mean when, we means when God looks at you, guess what He's going to see? Jesus Christ. He's going to see perfection. He's going to see you the way you're going to be, not the way you are. So when you're in Christ and you get up every day and you say, God, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ in my life. How many of you know God imputes His righteousness, but at the same time, the Bible says that He imparts righteousness. So what does that mean? That means every day that God is pouring out something called the Spirit of Christ in your life. How many know the Spirit of Christ has been poured into your life? And so Jesus Christ, in fact it says in Ezekiel 36, 26, He took the old covenant He says, A new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh and I will give you my spirit within you. It will cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and you will do them. How many know that we are helpless 
to do the things of God because we have a nature that's against God. But how many know when He pours His Spirit into your life, when you get up every morning before you go to work and you say, Jesus Christ, live through me, guess what happens? God gives you a divine nature. God gives you a want to, to be like Christ. He gives you the power to be like Christ. He empowers you with the Spirit of Christ to be like Him. And you say, no, I just want to be a better version of myself. And see, that's where we mess up. We want to be a better version of ourselves. We say, well, man, I want to read the Bible and I just want to learn how to be nicer. You know, I just want to learn how to not be as angry. I want to learn how to be a little more loving version of myself. I want to be a little more of this or that. And, and God's saying, no, that's not what I want. I want you to be like me. And you know, being like Christ and following Christ is different than being a better version of you. And God wants you to get up every morning and He wants you to say, Christ, live in me. Live in my body. Use my body. Be be life through me today. Lord, live through me. Not make me a better version of myself. Christ wants to live through you every day. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Worship team. Praise the Lord. You know, there are a lot of, uh, it's a real challenge teaching foundations of doctrine. How many have ever been through Galatians and just taught foundations of salvation and why we believe and how we believe and why Christ died? And, and, uh, but I just want to thank everybody for being so patient and listening through uh, these sermons because they're very rich theological foundation and it's things we have to understand but but we're now at the point where we have to challenge ourselves and and we have to um, we have to appropriate the death of Christ you know the Bible says that he provided atonement for all mankind let me know that Christ died for all but his death will only be effectual For those who receive it. So you have to say to yourself. Christ. I receive your sacrifice. And I want to live for you. And you've got to make that commitment. You know when I made that commitment. I had nobody. I had nobody in my room to talk to me. I had nobody around to tell me. To do this or that. This is how simple it is. The Bible says it's so simple, a fool need not make a mistake. But it's not the easiest thing in the world to live it out. And I can remember that day when I sat in my room and I just said to myself, Lord, I'm never going to let you go. I'm going to serve you with all of my heart. I don't care who leaves me. I don't care if I'm all alone, but I'm going to serve you with my life for the rest of my life. And there was no body there to teach me the way, nobody there to tell me the right way. Lots of things ahead of me as struggles, you know. But all it is is faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it's all at. It's the most important thing today, tomorrow, 
for the rest of our lives is do we have faith in Jesus Christ? Have we given our life completely? You know, he said a friend will lay his life down for a friend. He laid his life down for you, and all he's asking is, hey, God, here's my life. Do with what you want. You can have my life. You say, well, man, I don't know if I'm perfect. Did you hear the message today? (laughs) It's not about being perfect. It's about following Jesus Christ with all of your heart. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect. It means there's a lot of things in our heart that God has to work on. A lot of things in our heart that we have to work through. Uh, There's a lot of things that we're going to fail when it comes to obedience to God. But how many know He nailed all of those curses of disobedience Nailed them to the cross. And all we have to do is receive that today. So if that's you and you've never done that, or maybe you've got off the track and you've got into performance and said, man, I did this wrong and that wrong, you can't bless me. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and walk every day. Forget about the past. Forget about the failures. He nailed that on the cross. We just need to lay him down and say, God, I'm all yours. Failures and all. I'm all yours. Hallelujah. We're going to worship. You need prayer. We're here for you. That's what we're here for. You can see me now. You can see me after. Find a place at the altar. Find a place at your seats. Find somebody to pray with if you need it. Hallelujah. scripture. You know, the Holy Spirit really um, quickened me when I got to this part of the sermon. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. How many have ever been weary and burdened? Always trying to prove yourself to people, prove yourself to God fighting with your failures, your weaknesses, your addictions. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you just have to think... I know where I live right now when I moved in, a big, beautiful, how many have ever seen a draft horse? Like a Belgian draft horse is what they had there. The neighbor next to us had Clydesdales, big, beautiful Clydesdales. The other neighbor had bison. (laughs) It was like a jungle out there. But there's nothing more majestic than a big, strong, beautiful draft horse or a big, strong mule. And in order, it just really speaks, and the Holy Spirit quickened me for you today. You find the best one you have, the strongest one you have, the one that will walk the straightest and be the most obedient. That's the one you put with the weak one, so they can learn how to bear the yoke. Jesus said, take my yoke, learn from me, I am humble in heart. And you understand He wants you to just walk with Him. He wants you to let Him carry the weight of your failures. 
weight of your sins, the curses that the enemy would love to put on you but have been nailed to the cross. And he just wants you to walk with him in humility and let him bear the weight. How many of us have borne that weight before? You feel condemned, you feel terrible, cursed. He's saying, no, that's not how it is. That's what the Pharisees are trying to put on you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Walk with me, let me teach you how to bear the yoke. And what they do is they give that yoke animal just a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time, and eventually he doesn't even feel the weight on him. And so God does want you to be obedient. He doesn't say, hey, good deal, no no, no problems with sin, let's not worry about being obedient. No, he wants you to be obedient, but he wants you to learn how to be obedient. Sin has damaged us to such a degree that we have to learn how to be obedient. You're not going to be able to be obedient completely on day one. It's going to take a lifetime of walking under His yoke. Does everybody understand that? My yoke is easy. Walk with me. It's easier than being one of these legalistic Pharisees. My word is easy. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would teach Lord, as we go away, Lord God, that we hold on to your word and your truth and you, Lord, that we walk with you, talk with you, Lord, that our burden is light, Lord God, our anxiety is gone, our fear is gone, Lord, we're full of hope, we're full of blessing, we're full of you, Lord, bless your people today, in your name we pray, everybody said, amen.